Hello, beloveds. Welcome to the 20 of 21 peace practices. Today is a full conversation or a longer conversation with my husband, Andy. And I wanted to release this today as you may be traveling or are hosting and spending time with other people. There are so many beautiful opportunities to deepen our practice in relationships. I was recently reading, actually last night, this book of monastic wisdom. And it speaks not only to the contemplative and the life of going in and solitude, but the powerful spiritual practice of living in community and the opportunity that community gives us to wake up. Particularly, um, this quote really stood out to me, that monastic life is a training in the art of listening, which begins in silence, develops in attentiveness, and is perfected in communication. And in the foreword, he says that people who visit monasteries are often amazed at how well they are listened to. And I think that this stands out because the art of careful listening is usually drowned out by the sheer noisiness of our everyday lives. And it's funny, in this book he says television and faxes and busy freeways. Just the idea that faxes, that that was the busyness. And I watch my family and the amount of screens, the phone and the computer and how we are all tangled up in our digital technology and the most precious moments are the ones of deep listening to oneself in silence and then that silence developing into attentiveness when we are together and perfected. And perfected, you know, doesn't mean that you arrive perfect. It means that it's a journey of attuning to other people through our communication. So this conversation is one that I hope can give you some tools as you are navigating your relationships and perfecting the communication to bring greater peace within and in your small corner of the world, which really is how we will create peace on earth, or through the small seemingly small, moment-to-moment interactions of this wild and precious life. And I will see you tomorrow for the final peace practice and the winter solstice. Namaste. Welcome to Peaceful by Nature.
This is Sage, and I am joined once again by my delightful, wonderful life teammate and surfing extraordinaire, <laughs> and yeah. pizza maker extraordinaire, mm -hmm. Andy. Yeah. How was your day? Good. Just the usual flow of work stuff. How about you? That was really good. Cool. Yeah. Nice. So Andy and I are going to dive into some relationship tools today. Um, we've been together for 14 years. We've been boyfriend and girlfriend or I don't know, we locked eyes and have been together pretty much ever since. Not that everything has gone perfectly smooth ever since, but we've been together ever since the very first time that we saw each other. Yeah. <laughs> Which is pretty wild to say. And over the past 14 years, I feel like we've learned a lot about how to be in relationship. And I believe that we are peaceful by nature and all of the practices that I offer on the podcast are to support you in remembering the peace that you are and being with all of the human parts that are not peaceful to be able to return to that state of peace. And one of the biggest, we're not going to be able to edit out all the cars. They're just going to be cars in the background and yeah. make peace with that. Um, one of the biggest things that contributes to our well-being and our peace uh, is right relationship and being at peace in our relationships. And for a long time, I thought that meant no conflict, that you just got along perfectly with this person and it would be harmony and bliss all the time. No. And that's not the case. No. <laughs> but there are useful ways to have an approach and there's productive conflict and not so productive conflict mm -hmm. definitely and we both grew up with models of relationships that gave us a lot to learn from yeah <laughs> yeah it felt useful to see things and notice like oh not quite like this not quite like this not quite like that yeah and because we live in a time that the roles within a marriage and within a relationship are really, thank goodness, up to our choosing. And we get to make the rules yeah. because we're the bosses. Yeah. We're the adults in the room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we are going to share a question and then some tips or relationship tools that we have found helpful and we really hope that these support you in your relationships with your teammate, with your partner, if you are partnered, or with your friendships or in your other relationships because our partners are really important relationships, the people that we live with, um, whatever your home, home situation is, and really the peace within our relationships supports our well-being and peace as individuals. Yeah. Especially as people maybe go to spend time with families and things. Yeah, and this time can be really challenging because as in the Northern Hemisphere, it gets darker and darker and there's this desire, at least I feel in my body, 
to go in and to go in and to go in and hibernate and my body is curling in right now. Like I, I just want to be by myself. And yet within our culture, we're expected to give a lot of energy to other people around this time of the year. And um, it can be quite exhausting, especially if you have a history of being an extreme people pleaser or peacekeeper in your house. And so this conversation along with uh, the 21 day countdown of um, peace practices that I'm offering are intended to help you through this time in particular as you navigate the end of 2022 and the holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there's some fun, useful stuff. Yeah. So, so Andy's going to read the question because he did such a good job last time of reading the question. <laughs> sure. Do you want to give context? Will you give context to? Uh, yeah. So this was from a while back, but it was part of why we thought of doing this now as well. Um, our friend Lisa uh, was heading to Burning Man, um, and she was going with a partner, and. They hadn't been together all that long, and that's a fairly intense place to be in partnership, period, but especially with something kind of new. And so, sent us this. Hey, loves, question. What would your advice be for newish couples going to the burn together? My partner and I were trying to discuss things yesterday, and I'm just really aware I don't know what to be thinking about ahead of time. Would love any of your wisdom or tips. And so we essentially kind of responded with uh, a bunch of stuff. We kind of reflected together and shared things that we had figured out by trial and error in some ways over the seven years that Sage and I went to Burning Man together. Can I say one thing that I'm just realizing right now? Sure. Is that if you approach the holidays a little like Burning Man... <laughs> it would be kind of fantastic. Like it's all a big yeah. art project. Know that that Burning Man and time with family both can be really intense. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, we made a list of stuff for Lisa and her partner about things that we had learned, both kind of there and in retrospect. Um, things that we figured out we would kind of do differently, how we could do things more skillfully um, with greater awareness and love. Mm-hmm. And so... Can we can we say that again, though? I feel like it's really important. It's nothing is wrong with you if your relationship is in a space that feels hard. It takes practice. And that's why we're offering these, that you can be more skillful and come into your relationship with greater awareness and love. Yeah, I think a lot of it is learned by doing and trial and error and mm-hmm. read lots of stuff and yeah. We're not we're peaceful by nature, but we're not perfect at relationships by nature. No, I think we're in ways pretty bad at relationships by <laughs> nature. Can like, you tell the story of the little girl yesterday? Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as far as shifting from, like, thinking that 
we're just kind of born good or bad at things versus that in essence it, it felt like there was a, a moment where it was a nice illustration of like I think most people can be good at most things given practice and I think that's a useful frame to keep in mind like it doesn't mean you're going to be amazing um, but I think yeah most people can be good at most things just given time to work on stuff and as long as you actually think that it's a thing that you can get better at by working on it um yeah we were walking on the beach at sugars and there was a little girl like three three ish Mm -hmm. okay um and sage had been walking in a way that kind of makes these arcs in the sand with her toes and the little girl kind of came up behind was like how how what makes those how do they happen like that and sage showed her and little girl had a really tough time trying to make it happen at first. And there was a really sweet moment where she looked at me. And she was just like, I'm not good at this. And I just looked at her and was like, well, you know, probably just need to practice. I think that's just all it takes is practice. And she had a really fun, sweet moment where, like, it instantly was like, oh, yeah. And then just practiced yeah. and started slowly doing it and was super stoked. <laughs> and she found <laughs> a totally different way to do it. Yeah. You know, because her legs were not as long and she was, I'll make a story on Instagram at Wild Sacred Sage and I can show you the pattern that I was making in the sand. And I love that illustration so much because so much of my life and a lot of people I know, it was like, well, I'm not good at this. So I abandon it. And just what you said, most people can do pretty much anything, and it takes practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll list out the, we sent Lisa a list of 13 things that we've kind of lightly adapted, Um, and then we'll kind of talk about a bunch of tools that help with them, and then maybe we'll go through them a little bit more in depth one at a time. Can we go back and forth like one, two, three, sure. four? Cool. All right. Number one is self-reliance, self-resilience, and self-care. And I believe that self-care is team care, is communal care. And this first point basically means take care of yourself, your body, your spirit, and your mind. There was something you wanted to add to that one? No. Uh, number two is remember you are on the same team, which I think is, we'll dive into, but is maybe kind of like the linchpin for a lot of things. Mm-hmm. These first two are linchpins for sure. Number three, what do you want? Create an individual intention. Create individual intentions. Four, create a shared intention or vision that incorporates and supports those individual intentions. Number five, Activate your intentions. Six, make a commitment to talk things through so that when you're in the moment, you can anchor back to that thing. Number seven, expect that things will go wrong sometimes. When things get really tough in life, love and support. Eight, respect boundaries. Don't push or pull for what is not right for the other person. Nine, remember your basic needs. If you are feeling agitated, check in with your body, stay hydrated, fed, 
rest as much as you can, stretch and move, and meditate. Ten, clean as you go, literally and metaphorically. <laughs> Eleven, play together. Have intentional couple time that you play and incorporate play into little tiny facets throughout the day. Twelve, enjoy the sweet tenderness of caring for one another's bodies and beings. Thirteen, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. Those are the thirteen. Cool. And so I think we'll go through them in some depth at least, one at a time. Mm -hmm. We'll see how far we get today. And this is not an exhaustive list at all. This is a framework that we feel like would help support this conversation. Yeah, Yeah. it kind of incorporates a lot of the tools that we have found useful that we'll kind of list out and maybe talk in some depth now. And maybe this ends up being a two or a three part thing. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot here. A weekly podcast. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the biggest tools that's been super useful for us, at least, and I I would think it would be useful for virtually anybody, is shifting the frame to remember that you and your partner or the person that you're in relationship with are on the same team. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you want to share some of your experience and realizations with those things. Yeah, yeah. And I just want to say that this requires discernment if you are in relationship with someone that is toxic or abusive and you need to set clear boundaries. You can't assume everyone's on your same on the same team. So you need to be on your own team. I just want to say that really clearly. But really trusting that in our marriage that we are on the same team and looking at this as a as a team from that I I am playing on and I'm also being supported by my teammates and this has been such a drastic shift because there's lots of reasons that this could be the case, but I have felt for a long time that there's always a subtle competition between me and other people, or as if somebody else is trying to trick me into doing what they want me to do and not going to respect me and what I want. This is because for a long time I didn't even know what I want, so I was easily like swooped up into other people's visions of what they wanted for my life and there's lots of complex family stuff in there absolutely absolutely and a lot of this relates back to family of origin and which is the work of being in a partnership because all of those things come up all of the things from the fam of family of origin and really early Uh, childhood as well as teachers and other peers and the way that I was treated growing up all of it yeah all of it comes into play and also being in the acting industry for so long and being a woman Mm -hmm. um, there's a very small it's like once there's one woman in a room they've met their quota they being the white men in charge and so it feels like you're constantly in competition there's not a lot of um 
social programming that I am supported or that I should that I can count on other people mm-hmm. as being supportive of me. Yeah. And that certainly hasn't been my um, reality. The biggest thing that taught me that growing up, and I also didn't play team sports, was acting and being in the same the same show. But even there, there's like main characters, protagonists, whatever. There's lots of reasons why I didn't feel like team was baseline. Yeah. Baseline for us. And... I guess the biggest thing is that every single time I have come to you with a vulnerability or a time that has been really hard, I've been met with unconditional love and support. Um, The story that comes to mind when we first started talking about this and was a huge shift was when I got in a car wreck in LA There were three wrecks I think I got into in LA. And the first one, I could be like, it wasn't my fault and be defensive about it. It doesn't really matter. I got in a car wreck and I immediately went into a shame spiral and I didn't want to tell you. My immediate reaction is usually, how do I hide this F up? How do I F up? Who's listening? This fuck up. I immediately need to hide this is my impulse. And when I came to you that I had gotten in the car wreck, you made me look at you in my, in, in my eyes. You made me look at you in my eyes with my eyeballs and say to me, I will fuck up. And it was so hard for me to say that to you. And I was crying in our living room and I, had to then also say, you told me to say this, and and Andy will still love me. And so just to say those things, I will fuck up, and Andy will still love me. I feel like a big part of a relationship has been me testing that. (laughs) Maybe, yeah. And it's not to say, like, it's not... Oh, I will fuck up and treat you poorly and see how much you can take. It's really like, I will fuck up and Andy will love me and we'll grow from it. We'll talk through it. We'll be radically honest. Yeah. And we're going to be on the same team. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I think it seems more skillful to just approach relationship assuming the other person is going to fuck up sometimes Mm -hmm. and plan on approaching it as a teammate mm-hmm. with love and support and like, okay, so how do we, how do we like both as individuals, but then as a unit, like, yeah, grow and shift and adapt and move. Yeah. 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 Maybe in another conversation, we don't have to go into it really deep right now. What do you mean by fuck up? Uh, I mean, it seems like there's a, there can be a huge range there, um, whether it's yeah with, uh, I mean financial stuff. Um, I know people who have had some really extreme things happen there, um, but I think hiding it was the bigger problem. Like it was something that like broke the relationship, not because it had to, but because there was a huge fuck up and then there was kind of like hiding and covering up 
Yeah. And this didn't go into our 13, but it goes back to our values. Integrity. Mm -hmm. Like speaking the truth, speaking the truth and not hiding, not keeping secrets is the best thing to do in your relationship. Yeah. It's the best thing to do. Because even if you think that you're getting away with something, there's a subtle energy that messes things up between the two of you if you are keeping secrets. Yeah. And kind of linked into the being on the same team thing. Like I think that this and another thing reinforce each other in a nice way. Um, But the idea that virtually nothing is personal. Mm. Um, And then understanding that like, as far as I can tell, humans are pretty well programmed to assume (laughs) that something is personal most of the time. It seems like that's people's baseline at least because it keeps us safe or the illusion of safety yeah or well also i would i wouldn't be surprised even just from like a a evolutionary psych perspective and biology that you know if if you are making that assumption then you're going to challenge things and people in ways that helps to maintain your status within a small group, mm. even if you're wrong. Like, mm. you know, because evolution, it, it doesn't really care if it's right or wrong in that sense, if it's accurate in terms of the way it, it represents reality, if a false representation of reality is just as good or better at perpetuating genes. Mm-hmm. So we take things personally. Yeah. And being on a team, one thing that's really helpful is to remember that virtually everything is not personal. Yeah, that I think they reinforce each other nicely. That if I remember that you are on my team and we're on a team together, I'm probably less inclined to take things from you personally or even to assume they are personal. Mm -hmm. And if I'm remembering that virtually nothing is personal, that people just don't think about me that much or that often mm-hmm. it's just not what happens that it's easier for me to remember that we're on the same team can you they... sorry no go ahead. can you give me an example of a time that you shifted from at first taking something personally and then shifted into not taking it personally it could be something small too it doesn't need to be a big i don't know um i'll try to think of one as well Um, well, I mean, I guess it ties into another big tool, um, because we can talk about storytelling, um, because I remember, you know, yeah, something like being on the same team and, and taking it personally and storytelling and noticing and how they can all kind of help reinforce each other. I remember when we were first living together in Irvine and we would go on long runs most days together. Um, it was <laughs> it was super useful practice, but it would pop into my mind, you know, if you were like running ahead a ways, for example, um, if you felt like sprinting up, that it would trigger something automatically in my mind early on of 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 some kind of a story of like oh she doesn't actually want to like run with me and spend time with me 
something along those lines and trigger all kinds of like yeah patterning and defense stuff and it it became in a way it was really nice that it happened because it became pretty easy really quickly to just notice oh the only thing that is factually happening is she is ahead of me Mm. and everything else is something I'm inventing Mm. um and so that skill of just checking back in with like okay well like what are the actual facts um and what what then is is something that I'm laying on top of those facts and do I have good reason to because maybe sometimes my stories are at least somewhat accurate and useful but a lot of the time we can spin ourselves in complex circles and weave all kinds of assumptions around other people's thoughts, intentions, whether they value us or not. Mm. Um, and so noticing that propensity for storytelling made it really easy. And it seems, my experience with it at least, is that once you really start noticing it again and again, it it kind of stops. Or at least it, it becomes minimal and it becomes really easy to notice it and just like that part of your brain just be like, okay, well, no, but thanks. Right. It's like, well, that's an interesting, entertaining idea, but that's not based in truth or reality. What are the actual things that are happening? Um, not the story that we're telling ourselves. And that has to do again with past patterning and family of origin. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to say more about storytelling stuff where nothing's personal or jump into... Well, there's a lot to say about storytelling, but I feel like we will continue to dive into it because it relates to other things. Um, Yeah. Every single day I'm challenging the stories that my mind wants to offer up as potential realities. And it's oftentimes when there is something that happens and... It lodges, I, I heard it recently called a brain weasel, and mm. that was such a wonderful way of thinking about it because it's like it gets a weasel in my brain and it just digs around and makes tunnels and it connects all of these different things that don't have anything to do with each other. We're really good pattern finders and storytellers, yeah. and so we can convince ourselves and make up really, we're also very imaginative and creative. Yeah, and we're we, just as good at finding patterns that don't actually exist in reality as mm-hmm. pattern I mean maybe better yeah than as patterns that do yeah so question your stories uh, another super useful tool that I think helped form the foundation for some of what we sent Lisa and we'll probably talk about it in different spots but um, the Gottmans have a, a ton of useful stuff and we, we went to some group Gottman stuff in LA a few times and yeah they had a, a bunch of really beautiful tools um, but the four horsemen they'll be linked in the show notes <laughs> cool so the the Gottmans are uh, basically a husband and wife team I forget who, who is which but one is a clinical psychologist and one is a therapist mm-hmm. um, and they've gotten really good at just observing couples <laughs> and being able to predict 
like something crazy, like 85% accuracy if they'll survive the next six months or not, something like that. But one of the most useful things we got from them that has just been nice to kind of remember and keep in mind and not use against the other person because that can get tricky. Um, but they basically have the four horsemen of kind of the communication apocalypse. And so defensiveness, stonewalling, words of criticism, and words of contempt. Mm-hmm. And contempt is generally the worst of them. Mm-hmm. As in... Yeah. No, as in... Oh, just that if, if there is... If there are expressions of contempt with our relationship, uh, that's a really bad sign. It's a really bad sign. And also, if you become self-aware of these patterns within relationship, I believe you can change. You can practice a different yeah. way of being. So each of these has a antidote. antidote. So do we want to name those? Um, just up a little bit. Sure. So, we'll go in a different order. Sure. All right. So, the first, we're going to talk about criticism. And criticism is... What is criticism? (laughs) Um, As in making big, broad, kind of absolute claims about um, the other person. So like, it's, they, Sage they, always runs away from me. She doesn't ever want to spend time with me. Yeah. Um, and it's useful. It's They differentiate between like something like complaints and criticism. Um, you know, like if there is a particular specific instance, you know, that, you know, I, I, if, yeah, that, that's not necessarily what they tend to mean by criticism. Yeah. That criticism is more of a a broad general yeah ad hominem attack yeah like a big general sweeping description of their character Mm -hmm. and so did you want to talk about the antidote yeah so right down right there there's that we're looking at this little thing that's very helpful so for criticism instead of criticism if you recognize that you engage in criticism and it doesn't really need to be big. It can be very small. Even in your mind, if you start to storytell, this person always does this. This person is never whatever. You can try the gentle startup, which is talk about feelings using I statements and express positive needs. Yeah. So, I mean, from the little that I understand of it, I think that there are some kind of nonviolent communication roots there in essence mm-hmm. of yeah, observing things using I statements about those feelings and clarifying spe- really specific needs. Yeah. And it's taking the blame away from the other person. Yeah. Yeah. So the next is contempt. Just read that little one. Sure. So attaching or uh, attacking sense of self yeah, trying to yeah, cause insult or harm. What would be an example of contempt? In our relationship, we can exaggerate something. Contempt would be... Um, 
in essence, looking down on the other person as though they are beneath you in some way, not mm. worthy of yeah, respect or love or value. Yeah, okay, so, so I have a ridiculous example. Like the, the simple version is uh. just, you know, if one partner is repeatedly rolling eyes when the other is saying something, that that's a version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looking down, being um, self-status. It's like status game. It's like putting mm-hmm. yourself above the other person. Yeah. So, so the antidote for contempt is appreciation. And appreciation is one of my favorite things because it relates, it relates to gratitude and it opened your heart. And I believe it's a portal to peace. And it feels so good to share appreciations. Yeah. And it ties into, I think the Gottmans talk about it some as well, but we talk about it in terms of like just building small Rituals, doing things often, building a foundation that way. Yeah. Let's do an appreciation right now. Okay. (laughs) I appreciate... I appreciate the small um, physical touch that you have been giving me in ways that feel... It's like you're checking in with me more or something. I don't know if you've even noticed it, but just like when we're driving or when we're doing things, it feels like you are checking in with me. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciate... I appreciate how you are... I think you have an easier time with this with me, but especially with, with friends and family standing up more for your desire for things like space and privacy mm. and not needing to make them feel okay. Oh, God, I just want to cry. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to take care of your teammate yeah. by standing up for her. Good job. I am taking care of your teammate by standing up for her and my need for... Um, solitude and my one of my intentions is to not make other people comfortable and swallowing that discomfort yeah oh I have a story to tell you about when I was up in EO I'll tell maybe at the end of this podcast I will tell you the story about what happened when a man approached me today Mm. while I was sunbathing naked and how I set boundaries so if you want to hear that story listen all the way to the end does he do energy work (laughs) and the next one (laughs) is tell that story uh defensiveness defensiveness is victimizing yourself to ward off personal attack and reverse the blame and this is one that i find myself in uh, often i often get defensive the well you x kind of thing well you yeah or even shutting down i don't do that i i don't do nah uh mm. it's basically a, like a nah uh and then my brain will find a way to justify the nah uh okay and and i will spend 
24 hours thinking about something of why it's not not my fault mm. that's not true you get all this and this and this and I do all this and this and this I mean that's a very generalized voice but huh. yeah or I don't do that no I don't when there's probably a sliver of truth even if it's not fully true which is what the antidote is that how you say that word mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know why my brain is because <laughs> I woke up at 4.30 and couldn't fall back asleep that could be part of it but that the antidote to it is that you take responsibility take responsibility yeah. just for your side of the street mm-hmm. yeah and that is a really beautiful balance to negotiate because I will, I would swing back and forth, and sometimes I still do swing back and forth from defensiveness into, oh, I'm so sorry, and groveling and being like, it was all my fault, and just wanting to take blame just to let the, com- like, to dissipate the conflict. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to give an example of this one because it, transpired pretty quickly over this or this it transpired over these last couple weeks we were on the beach and you said something about um basically the only thing i this is paraphrasing you and i could have misremembered it uh the only thing that i really do for myself is go surfing and i immediately my guard dogs went up I was like, that is not true. You do other things for yourself. And like, I wanted to make you a list of all the other ways that you take care of yourself and how I was getting so defensive as if your self-care would take away from my self-care. And my self-care is really important. Otherwise, I'm going to crumble and die. And so I had to look at it like, why am I getting so defensive? And so what I did... And what am I taking responsibility for? Responsibility for, one, I have the car most of the time, both for my work as well as doing things for myself. Mm -hmm. And taking responsibility, checking in with you more. And I've tried to do that over the past week. And I have, oh, that's the other part of the defensiveness. Like I always, I try, not always, I try to get Andy the car back by three o'clock at least three times a week because I know how important surfing is, even if I don't get to do what I want to do that day. Like he doesn't see all the things that I do for him. That's the other story my brain loves to tell. Mm. Andy doesn't see all that I do. Mm. That's where the defensiveness, oh, that's such a good awareness. That's where most of the defensiveness comes from, which goes back to a culture of appreciation, which in a lot of the relationships in my parents it felt like they were both waiting for the other person to say thank you for them doing all that they did and they both did so much but that led to defensiveness because they never wanted to whatever their relationship is their relationship but in me i see the same tenderson yeah like we i think we have a few friends but Mm -hmm. some in particular who have that kind of same pattern in a way that causes a lot of strife. Yeah, and it's passed down in the way that we have a very individualistic society that says you need to get what's yours and like fight for what's yours and be individualistic and so to balance independence and team teamhood. Yeah, and not shove down either. 
Yeah, and also that I think grades do a Taking responsibility is so freeing. As soon as I took responsibility in my head, it freed up so much energy because I wasn't going back and forth in my brain mm. as I was walking on the beach and I could actually be on the beach mm. instead of making up all of these false arguments in my brain. Mm. So defensiveness, you think it's helping you, it's really not. If you take responsibility, it's incredibly freeing and for me has returned me to a space of peace and I've recognized it a lot recently how quick defensiveness can get in and then shift mm. take responsibility mm. and the last stonewalling uh, I, I would imagine that's pretty self-explanatory but essentially just withdrawing not interacting um, putting up a stone wall yeah and often to to do so in a way that expresses something like disapproval or distance. Mm -hmm. I'll show you. When I was little, I'd be like, I'll show you. I'm going to run away. Yep. And then I would run away. And then I would get hungry and cold. But people will miss me when I'm dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> They're going to really miss me. Yeah. I'm going to show them. I'm going to show them. And the antidote for stonewalling is self-soothing actually taking a break and super useful to acknowledge especially if like you and i we tend not to have very like almost ever like angry or heated arguments mm -hmm. but whether you do or don't but especially if you do it can be useful to build a, a practice together of saying like this is maybe not going to get us anywhere right now let's mm -hmm. take a break <laughs> but then set a clear time to come back and talk about it like you know, I, 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 I'm flooded right now um, I want to talk about this this is important but it's not going to be right now so let's talk about this whether it's like in an hour or the next day or something but mm -hmm. yeah and this is why one of the peace practices that I recorded is called Reset After Upset. And this is something you can use. It's a walking meditation. It's called Reset After Upset. Put it in your earbuds. Get outside. Set a clear time with your person that you're in some sort of heated argument with. You don't have to be in complete shutdown to say this. You can just say, I'm flooded right now and I need to go take care of myself, we can come back within the next 24 hours and remove yourself and self-soothe. And walking, getting outside, being with yourself um, is really helpful to calm down your nervous system and calm down and get the blood flowing to all parts of your brain, not just the limbic reactive part of your brain. So those are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. For the Gottmans. Yes. Um, another really useful tool or something we came to understand has to do with unvoiced expectations. Um, just both of it, we had experience with, I think each of our parents and also with other people 
just building expectations and then not voicing those expectations and then getting really upset um, when the expectations that nobody knew existed weren't met. Yeah. Um, it goes back to, I can't read your mind. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, communication is pretty super useful. And they can be sneaky. You don't even realize you're building expectations. So it takes self-awareness, which is why the number one thing is to self, self-care. And that includes contemplation and self-reflection. Yeah. One that kind of links to being on the same team, um, and this is useful in all kinds of places, but especially it, it's something that I've, I've talked about in work meetings before because so much of our communication is via things like email um, is to just assume positive intent um, that especially with written stuff it's pretty easy it seems like for our minds to assume some kind of uh, yeah, negative tone um, it can be a super useful game, actually, if you want. Just grab an email that you think was written targeting you in some way and read it out loud as though that person really intended you harm, but then also go back and reread it with like the most tender, loving voice you can and notice that both probably work pretty well. Um, that it's easy for us to kind of assume things that just aren't there. I was going to see if I could find something that would like illustrate that, but we could, we could find it another time. time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another super useful skill that we use a bunch when we're talking and exploring. I feel this is extremely important as you navigate relationships with family and friends over the holidays because you will be getting together with human beings who have different beliefs than you yeah um and we it came up a little bit last time but i i think with beliefs in particular we i think we mentally at least use the wrong verb with them because we don't act as though we have beliefs we act as though we are our beliefs um, and having versus being is a super useful shift to make there. Because if I think that I am my beliefs about the world, um, if somebody attacks those things, I'm going to do things like get defensive, to take it personally, to think that it's criticism of me. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all of the <laughs> problems of stuff we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I think that my beliefs are or what helped to shape my worldview, which is something that hopefully helps me live a better, more fulfilling life, bringing more well-being into my life and others. But if there are things that I have outside of me, mm-hmm. then you know, if in essence they are a map, then it's way easier to have somebody criticize them. And in fact, you can get to the point where it's a shift and it's a positive thing that somebody points out a flaw in your belief system and instead of getting defensive it's more of just a oh yeah yeah that's not the way the world works interesting i should change that yeah and it's like they're helping you clean your windshield like you are not your windshield 
Yeah. You're not your windshield and your windshield or your car. You're not your car or your windshield. And your windshield is shaping, your beliefs are shaping the way that you see the world. But if you have a windshield that's really warped and it's making everything look like a fun mirror and it's like you think that that's reality and someone offers you something different, it's going to feel weird at first. And, and it's going to feel like the other thing is real. So it can be really tricky to give up your beliefs because you've been seeing the world like that for so long. Sure. And I don't, uh, I don't, I think this is a, a far easier one to say than to do, mm-hmm. but I think it's one of the most useful things. When I used to teach college critical thinking classes, I, I would, the first several weeks, I would just continue to come back to this idea because we were going to get into stuff that challenged how they saw the world. Yeah. And I needed them to be able to approach it from a sense of like, okay, well, let me actually figure out what seems to be true, not what feels good or important or something along those lines. Right. And I think a, a nice illustration of this and also just how easy it is to, to not take this, have that perspective is there was a, a I've told you this before, there was a, a scientist who works at the Large Hadron Collider who was being interviewed um, right when they were about to run some experiments to see if we had clear evidence for the Higgs boson or not. And the reporter kind of brought up, like, well, what, so what, what happens if, if it fails? Like, what happens if you don't find that evidence? And the, the physicist said something along the lines of, like, well, you know, then we would be wrong. Like, our, kind of our, our fundamental model of how we think the universe works in a lot of ways would be wrong. We would have to redo a ton of stuff. And the reporter's question was, well, I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that scare you or worry you? And the, the physicist's response was, no, that, that would be amazing. Mm-hmm. That would mean that we have to go back. Like, we would, A, have a, a clearer sense of how things do actually work. And then we would have to go back and figure it all out. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that shift can be a super useful one of like, oh, mm. I, I don't actually care which thing is true mm-hmm. but that's not what i'm attached to i'm just attached to as best i can trying to figure out what is true Satya. yeah 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 letting go of yeah fears worries angers about yeah my pet belief a was bad. yeah and it can be very tricky because it's tied up with a sense of identity which gives us a sense of safety like it it's it's very um, nuanced and intimate, but not being your beliefs is a freeing. It's liberating. Yeah. It's liberating, and I'm not there yet. I'm still untangling. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm decent with it, mm-hmm. but it's still an easy thing. It just is, and maybe the most useful reframe for how to live <laughs> that I think I've come across as far as something that yeah that would fix a lot of a lot of problems right now well and it leads back to your value of growth related to insight because mm-hmm. that's why we self reflect and that's why meditation is so helpful is to recognize true self is what I call it uh, the wit- consciousness that is witnessing the patterns that are happening the sensations that are happening and 
so it's like the the part of us that is not the beliefs there's a distance between between the two so yeah. meditation yeah, helps it's a useful distance mm-hmm. not assuming feelings is another tool and what did we mean by this when we wrote it down not assuming you know how the other person feels yeah yeah that's huge yeah which maybe alex if you listen to this you can write in and let us know um <laughs> but i i think that this has some kind of similar roots to nonviolent communication but mm-hmm. yeah, different like observing facts but not assuming the other person is feeling a certain way about those things mm-hmm. so you know if it's you know for example, you know, one couple might get divorced and, you know, if you were speaking with, with one member of that couple, you could easily assume that they are really sad, depressed, when maybe they're super happy and excited and elated. It's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm, uh, just that it's easy for us to assume, oh, X happened, they must be feeling Y. Yeah. And that, rather than that, just actually checking in on, yeah, what is that experience? How are you feeling? And this is related to each other as well as like, if something happened throughout your day and someone's like, oh, that's such a bummer. You don't know if it's such a bummer. Ask them how they are feeling about it. Don't yeah. assume that you know what it is because it makes your partner feel, it makes me feel more seen when you ask me how I feel about it. Yeah. And don't assume. Yeah. Which I think we do a decent, I don't know, I try to do a pretty decent job of not assuming anything as far as what an experience was like for you. Mm-hmm. Because the, it'll change day to day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some mornings it's like the best ever and it's never the worst ever here, but yeah, yeah, things can shift. Yeah. Another super useful one from long, long ago um, was the, the phrase, the idea that these arrows weren't meant for me, that at least sometimes and probably fairly frequently in conflict, and this goes back to the family of origin stuff, but useful to try to take kind of a moment of pause, and we can add that to the list because that's kind of a a super useful base tool for the kid. Mm -hmm. Um, But to pause and notice, you know, if if a partner is firing arrows, are they actually meant for me, or are they aimed at some thing else some other past experience some other past programming and do i just happen to be walking between them and their actual target Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's it's assuming not assuming but it is being aware that often the things that arise in conflict or in any circumstance that they don't have to do just with that present moment they have to do with all of the past that that person is coming to you with. And so for me, in our relationship, the biggest thing is I have a belief that I am working on shifting that there is a belief in my <laughs> patterning that if people, quote unquote, love me, they will consume me. They will 
cause they will squeeze me to death. They will want to control everything about what I'm doing. Yeah. And that people are trying to trick me. Which I don't know that I would really say is love in it's the first not, place. No, but it's yeah. definitely not yeah, love. Yeah, yeah. But that model of people that are close to me and love me want to squeeze me, always want my attention, will will always want more than I can give. People want always want more than I can give. And what that has led to is shut down mm-hmm. and pendulum swings of trying to give and give and give and give and please people and then being so overexhausted and overextended that yeah. I either drank to numb it out or I run away and totally hide. Avoidant, avoidant personality is what they would say. And it comes from, yes, family of origin and then relationships and how the relationships I've had throughout my life have created and reinforced that pattern. Not because of the actual reality, but how my mind has reinforced that pattern. And now shifting to what arrows am I flinging at Andy or other people in my life that I don't need to? Is this, yes, stepping up for myself and speaking my truth and setting clear boundaries, but recognizing, recognizing when things that I am frustrated or scared of are actually not yours and that come and that also relates to safety yeah big safety and sex especially yeah and the flip you just made i think is a super useful one to point out in particular of because there can be the oh these arrows weren't meant for me that i'm getting caught in the crossfire mm-hmm. but also that yeah it's easy we we can easily be firing arrows at a partner and it's hard. It, it, I don't think this part is easy. I think it's hard to, in the moment, notice that you're firing arrows at something else, and your partner is in the way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that that that's that kind of flipped version of it is super useful to try to practice. And it's really helps get back into a place of co-regulation and healing because both people in that situation are triggered from past experiences probably so there's mutual healing that can happen if you have that capacity to self-reflect and recognize i and that goes back to non-defensiveness and taking responsibility for your part yeah and i think kind of a a foundational tool under that and maybe under a a lot of these things kind of all of them Hmm. is the, I forget what different people call it, but yeah, the, the quarter second pause, the half second Sacred pause. Sacred pause. Sure, yeah. Um, just practicing, and this goes into some mindfulness stuff that would probably be useful to just spend an entire thing on sometime, mm-hmm. but noticing that you aren't your thoughts and you aren't your beliefs, that you aren't your feelings, yeah, that, that they flow through conscious experience but that yeah practicing pausing for a quarter second as those things start to fire just because then it becomes much easier to notice oh i'm feeling these things and i'm about to fire this at my partner and it actually has nothing to do with them yeah rather than kind of getting caught in the wave of it and confusing 
myself with the emotional experience. Yeah. And if you've been in YTT with me or been to yoga classes and I've talked about the koshas, the koshas are these sheaths and the yogic term of the different layers of the body. You recognize sequentially that you are not these things. And so it's a really helpful way. And I'm going to do a deep dive into each of the koshas in another podcast, probably a solo cast. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of wisdom in yoga. (laughs) Life is yoga. There's so much, there's so much there, but they relate to these psychological ways. Like Andy doesn't study yoga is not as involved in yoga or, or teaching yoga teacher trainings or anything like that. So these conversations that we're having, we're meeting in this really cool middle ground of Western psychology and critical thought. We both practice mindfulness and we both have our own meditative practices and ways of self-reflection. But I come from much more or not. I'm a, I'm exploring a lot more yoga and Buddhism and um, different philosophies than Andy is. So, I guess that's just to set context for people who are listening. Yeah. Well, that was fantastic so far. That's the intro. Yeah. Do you want <laughs> that one? Oh, yeah. This was and then beautiful. We can decide if we. Well, okay. So let's do one more tool. Yes. Uh, and. And then a bonus tool. Yeah, it, because it relates to what we kind of mentioned it earlier when we were talking about the Gottman stuff. And it might even be their term. Mm-hmm. Um, There's actually a podcast that's called this. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about it then? Let's say it at the same time. Okay. One, two, three. Small, Small things, things often. often. So that is the name of the podcast. It is put out by the Gottman Institute. We cool. have no connection to the Gottman Institute, no. by the way. We are... We just really have appreciated their tools, and they're very accessible. Yeah. Small things often is what it sounds like. (laughs) Do you want to give an example? Yeah. So small things often are ways of showing care and appreciation and love for your partner, for your teammate, not in big, huge romantic gestures or one big celebration for your anniversary a year. It's really tiny daily things that you do. So one thing that Andy and I do every single night almost is have dinner together. I know that that's not an option for everyone, but we make it a priority and it's also something that we really enjoy. Virtually 99 point something percent of the time cook dinner together and then eat dinner together. And that's shifted because it certainly was not 99% of the time even a month ago. Like actually cooking together? It varied. But yeah. yeah. I guess from my perspective, I felt like I was in the kitchen by myself a lot. Okay. And I really appreciate it's fun being there. And that's not to say that you were not helping in a way because... I was there asking you for help and you didn't show up. I often want solitude. Yeah. And that was my only time when I didn't have a commute. So, yeah, making dinner together and eating dinner together and not going on autopilot. For me, small things often is like ritual and presence. Having things that you do on a ritual basic 
basis, but that you are not like, oh, I got to do this thing for my partner. Yeah, but ritual, treating it in the simple, small sense, um, you know, having just like yeah, rituals of, and I think this is a Gottman thing, but you know, rituals of grieving or mm-hmm. rituals of goodbye, mm-hmm. of just, yeah, like, yeah, rather than the yelling across the house, like, okay, see you later, mm-hmm. a, a quick little actual hug and look at each other goodbye kind of a thing. Yeah, and these develop organically if you're paying attention to your partner, and they evolve and they change over time. So right before we go to sleep, I really love doing three rapid-fire gratitudes because it puts me into my heart, and I also get to hear yeah. what is in Andy's heart. And yeah. Or a lot of days we will, and we'll probably do this very soon, mm-hmm. like right now, mm-hmm. but walk down to the beach when the sun's close to setting and either go for a quick walk and or a quick little swim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just check in on life and the day. Yeah. Yeah. And the final bonus thing I want to say is um, this relates to small things often and goes back to our The Burning Man 13 of play. Be joyful with one another. <laughs> Have fun. This I don't know why it has taken me so long to give myself permission to be joyful and have a good time and um it doesn't need to be like we're playing a game and it's fun you can just joke around it doesn't mean i'm haha funny telling you a joke just take things less seriously it doesn't have to be a game of seriousness and figuring everything out even as you're doing the logistical things of life you can interject little moments of joy and little moments of play and gently poking fun at each other or just allowing it to be lighter yeah allowing it to be lighter yeah Yeah. do you want to pause there yeah and then come back and do go through the 13 and kind of link back to these things again sometime yeah that sounds great so i'm going to release this as a full full moon episode it's going to be a surprise episode uh, coming out before the December new moon. And, and then there will be a part two. And there will be a part two, potentially, I think released on the new moon of December, a part two where we do a deeper dive into the 13. That's if Andy and I have time to record before I go to Montana. But we'll see how it goes. This is part one of part two of part 762,000 million bajillion episodes that I will be recording with Andy. Yeah. Probably shirtless as long as we're in a pretty private space. Oh, I want to tell the story about Eow. Okay. Now that you made it all the way to the end. But before I tell that story, I want to encourage you to reach out to me on Instagram at Wild Sacred Sage or send your email with questions, comments, reflections on the podcast to wildsacredsage at gmail.com and check out my website wildsacredcollective.com and I will be updating the events more often with things that I'm doing around Maui and other things that I'm 
putting online. There will be some new things coming in 2023, which I'm really excited about. And so stay in touch, especially if you come to class here on Maui and we start to cultivate a really great relationship and you're coming to my classes or you're in YTT and then you leave and you're craving some sage and some yoga and some Maui. It's a really wonderful way to stay in contact through Instagram. It's basically the only reason I have it is to stay connected to people who aren't here on Maui. And if you are listening to this right when it comes out on December 6th, I want to let you know that I'm leading a peace walk, a walk for peace. And that will be on the 7th, the evening of the 7th, the afternoon evening of the 7th. I got lithby. It's a free event and it is a walk for peace. We are going to dress up in bright colors and look like prayer flags going up the side of the mountain and walk in silence with the intention to cultivate peace with every step. And at the top we'll have a brief sunset ritual as the sun sets and then the moon will rise and we'll hike down under the full moon. And it's a final moon in 2022. So I'm really excited to share this experience. So if you're on Maui, the details are on my Instagram at Wild Sacred Sage. If you enjoyed this podcast and you found it helpful, useful, please share it because I would love for it to reach people who it the podcast needs to reach <laughs> um, to reach more people. Really, it's not really about the podcast reaching people. My desire is to be of service and that if you take one thing away from this conversation about relationships and it brings more peace into your relationships, I will be so grateful. We will have fulfilled our intention. Yeah. Increasing well-being. Yeah, increasing well-being. You want to tell the EF story? I do. So, I love Iao, and today was absolutely stunning. Iao is a sacred valley up here in Maui, and I like to hike up the river and find... I have a favorite pool that I go soaking in, skinny dipping in, and then I lay on this big rock like a lizard in the sun. And I love it. And today there was a human at my pool, not my pool, at the pool. And I was like, well, I could go further, but I really don't want to go any further. And I only have so much time, so I'm going to stay here and I'm going to do my thing. And so I respectfully gave him his space and I took my clothes off and discreetly slid into the water and got back out and I was laying on the rock and I put a piece of cloth over my head. I did not make eye contact with this man. I did not give him any signals that I was interested in having any sort of interaction. And then I rolled over and looked out under from underneath to see where the sun was at. And he said, hey, What's your name? I paused. 
I don't need to tell him my name. It's none of his business. But I said, my name is Sage. And then he said, you mind if I come join you? And I said, yes, I do mind. I'm enjoying some time in solitude. And then I closed my eyes and I let him do his thing. Mm. And I felt so proud of myself <laughs> for setting boundaries. And I didn't leave. In the past, I would have been like, well, I better pack up because he's probably watching me and being creepy. And I would have story told. And he was just a human looking for some connection. And he asked if he could come join me. And I compassionately said that I was enjoying my solitude, which is true. There was part of me that wanted to go and say, please don't take it personally. You're not a bad human being. I just want to spend time by myself. I was like, ha, huh. he gets to work through those feelings on his own and not take it personally or feel what he needs to feel. I am not here to heal the world. I'm here to heal myself and spread love. Yeah. And that's my story from the day of self-reliance, self-care, and setting clear communicative boundaries and finding peace. Nice. Cool. Good job. Thanks. Let's go jump in the ocean. Love y'all. Love you. If you are enjoying these peace practices, I would love to hear your feedback at Wild Sacred Sage on Instagram. You can also subscribe to the podcast so that you're always updated and share them with people that you feel might benefit from these practices. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it and I hope you have a peaceful rest of your day.